Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Paul Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. We're doing part two of our look inside of European football. Last week, I sat down with Martin Ling, the director of football operations for Leighton Orient. This week, Nigel Travis, the chairman and co-owner of Leighton Orient, joins me. We get a rare look from the owner of a European football club. That's going to be great. I had a chance to embed with Leighton Orient. Last week, I told you I was going to an away match. By the way, Leighton Orient, two wins, no losses, no goals allowed with Brian Berger in attendance. So I think they're going to want to have me back. They did well while I was in attendance. But uh, Nigel Travis and the team at Leighton Orient rolled out the red carpet for me. And uh, I'll tell you what, I learned a lot about the business of European football. So many things that I didn't know before this trip that I learned from Martin and Nigel. So I think if you're paying attention, you're going to learn a lot as well. Nigel has also been the chairman at Dunkin' Donuts, Baskin Robbins. Uh, He sits on the board at Abercrombie. He's led Blockbuster, Burger King, Papa John's. He's worked with some big brands. He knows how to run a business. And it just so happens that Leighton Orient was his team growing up as a young boy. So now he owns them. How cool would it be for all of us to own the team that we grew up watching? So I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs from Across the Pond. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love Nigel. I mean, talk about a resume, man. <laughs> he's, he's basically worked with every brand you've ever heard of and every store you've ever been to. He's been a part of it. So uh, Nigel's great. Love listening to his accent and his uh, behind the look of his team. And how cool. Yeah. Owning the team that you grew up uh, as a fan of. I mean, that's like iconic. I love it. And it was really cool because I went and met him at his flat, beautiful flat. Uh, we rode in the car um, and saw some sites, including uh, I think it's Lord's stadium it's uh, one of the most famous cricket fields in the world here in london um you know we just had a nice chat it was the first time we met in person we had only spoken on the phone before um you know he lives in the states part-time as well so he has a really rare perspective as someone who you know knows the business of american sport well he's friends with jerry jones and robert Kraft and stephen ross and you know a lot of people 
Um, but then also obviously has the perspective of someone who's running a European football club. Pretty rare perspective that we're going to get today from Nigel, but I can't thank him enough for rolling out the red carpet. Uh, I got to go to dinner with Nigel and the coaching staff after their match at home. So it was just a great day. And, you know, like I said, they rolled out the red carpet for me and, and I thanked them. Griggs, this has been such an interesting time to be in London. Um, Queen Elizabeth II died at age 96. She was, you know, in power for 70 years. So, I mean, I saw so many things while I was here. I went to Buckingham Palace, like I said last week. I went to Westminster Abbey. I didn't get to go in, but I saw the outside. I wasn't there for the funeral. But, you know, I saw a lot of the sites. Big Ben Parliament. If you've seen European Vacation with Chevy Chase, I saw Big Ben Parliament. Um, how is this going to impact England? I mean, there were moments of silence everywhere. There were programs that had the Queen on the cover. Um, I went to the Arsenal-Brentford game, which I'll get to in a minute. And, you know, during the 70th minute to honor her 70 years of reign, they everyone stood and clapped. Um, so, I mean, she was so revered here and basically the mother and grandmother of England. Um, but Griggs, King Charles now, like the money here is going to change. The stamps are going to change. Like everything has to be rebranded. You had someone who was in power for 70 years. So now it all gets rebranded and changed. It's crazy. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing that just keeps getting me like, you know, in, in the U.S., we're used to a president for four years or eight years. Big deal. Right. 70 years. I mean, everybody knows her because every generation that's alive and, and over there has dealt with Queen Elizabeth as their their queen. So it's like she's everywhere. And you mentioned it on the money, on the banks, on the everything. I mean, it's it's going to be quite a process. But uh, yeah, 70 years. It's still just I can't understand. That's crazy. How about this? During her reign, 70 years. She met 18 U.S. presidents. <laughs> so there were 18 U.S. presidents during her 70 years of reign. Amazing. I mean, you want to talk about someone who saw it all and we'll never see anything like this again. There's never anyone in our lifetime or probably for the rest of time that will be in power for 70 years and rule over a nation for 70 years. That's unheard of. And, you know, a queen nonetheless and you know such a strong woman and um you know she was so revered here I mean, one of the things you know i saw a picture uh the lines were five miles long and they eventually had to shut them down to go see her lying in state that's how many people i mean hundreds of thousands of people but one of the people who got in the back of the line at two in the morning and waited 14 hours in line david beckham and I'll tell you what, I've got a lot of respect for David Beckham after doing that because there were some celebrities who I won't mention who used their celebrity to, let's say, get to the front of the line. But David Beckham put on a little cap and he put a jacket and was pretty incognito. And he stood in line for 14 hours starting at 2 a.m. to honor the queen and pay his respect. So I, I thought that was pretty amazing. Um I did not go into the hub of where everything was going on for the funeral itself. I did watch it on BBC. And it was interesting. All the businesses were closed here. This was basically a holiday today. 
Um, you go to the storefronts and it had a picture, which I tweeted out at SP Radio of, you know, we're closed to honor Her Majesty, the Queen Elizabeth. But things basically shut down. No school, the banks were closed, most of the stores were closed. But, you know, I don't even know what I could relate it to. You know, I wasn't alive for the Kennedy assassination, but you hear that things shut down for that funeral. And um, I don't know what you would relate it to in America, but this was something, like I said, we'll never see the likes of this yet. I love the respect uh, that they have over there for the majesty and just the whole system. It just pe- feel like people are just, they follow it, they respect it. Like you said, they close the nation down when there's a tragedy. I, I love that, that, you know, respect that you see from uh, the European nation. Sometimes we don't see that as much in America because people are doing so many hundred billion different things. But over there, it's like, it's shut down. We're going to respect this. Well, and she cut across politics, right? I mean, the royals that she, she's seen so many prime ministers. Like I said, she's dealt with so many U.S. presidents and, and leaders around the world. She was the one constant. So, um, you know, pretty amazing to see. And I had no idea I was going to be here during this historic time. But like I said, it impacted a lot of the sports events, whether it was some being postponed, some being canceled. Um, She was honored at all of the events, like I said, pregame, during the match, in the 70th minute, in the magazines. Um, You know, a lot of respect paid to the queen. All right. I went to my first Premier League match. And Griggs, you know, I've gone to Major League Soccer before, and it's good soccer. But I'd always wanted to go to a Premier League. You know, you watch it on TV and you're like, wow, this is, this is like the Ferrari of soccer. And I'm not a huge soccer fan, but I respect the game. Uh, it's a little bit boring for me at times. You know, I'm used to fast-paced basketball, high-scoring American football. You know, I love home runs and baseball. I'm a scoring guy, but I respect the skill and the strategy of soccer or football, as it's called over here. Going to see Arsenal and Brentford, and by the way, Brentford Stadium, brand new, built last year, beautiful little 17,000 seat modern venue. Um, And then Arsenal, who is in first place atop the Premier League right now. So I was seeing the best team in Premier League. He was like a symphony of soccer is the best way I can put it with Arsenal. They control the ball beautifully. Every single pass, every header, every you know kick from the goalie, it all has a purpose. Um, they're always in control. Frankly, they dominated the match. Um, Brentford probably got maybe three clean looks on goal the entire match. So they were dominant defensively. They were dominant offensively and then you know I'm, I'm at the match with my new friend Niall who took me to the match and I thank Niall for for doing that um and you know he's telling me how Arsenal has all of these players on their bench that would probably start for Brentford and you know they're making millions and millions of dollars that's the other interesting thing when people over here talk at the pubs about how much an athlete makes like we'll say you know LeBron James is making $45 million a year. Over here, they'll say so-and-so is making, you know, $495,000 a week. Everything's a week over here. It's not for a year. So that's an interesting difference. But 
Okay, here are some other things. Differences between America and England and, and how we speak. And all right, so watch your step. You know, you're getting off a bus, you're getting off the subway, uh, you're in an arena or a stadium, watch your step in America. In England, Griggs, and I'm, I'm going to have this in my head like for years <laughs> now. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. <laughs> when I'm on the underground, it probably says mind the gap at every stop. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. So I love mind the gap. It's like, I need to get a t-shirt that says mind the gap. <laughs> I, I love it that much. I really want mind the gap. In America, we call it a beer. Over here, everyone says, let's go for a pint. Right. Okay. Um, you and I are friends. In England, we're mates. Yep. Just like in Australia. Um, people say hello or goodbye in America over here. Cheers. <laughs> okay. Um, in America, we call people an idiot. Over here, you're a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. Now, sports, you've got fans in America, fanatics, fans. Over here, you're a supporter. So you've got the supporters section and the supporters. And <laughs> I'll get to that in a minute. Um, we call it a football field or a soccer field or a baseball field. Over here, it's a pitch. Mm -hmm. That pitch is 200 years old. <laughs> by the way, they do have pitches over here that are older than America, by the way. Crazy. Like a lot older yeah. than America. So when you come over here or I've been to China, you go to Japan. I mean, you see just how young America is. Yeah. I mean, we're a newborn baby compared to these other nations that have been around for so much longer. And then, you know, we'll say uh, someone won the soccer game three to nothing, three to zero. Over here, it's nil. Yeah. Three nil. <laughs> so those are some of the differences. Um, one of the things that we'll talk about with Nigel, and this just blew me away, Great. Okay, so in the 70s and 80s, and I kind of remember this, but wasn't really clear on it until this week. There were all kinds of basically riots that broke out at football matches. And people were hurt and stadiums collapsed. And I mean, there was lots of stuff going on. And the other thing I've noticed is the people in Europe, they got tempers. Like they want to fight. They want to throw it out. They, you know, go to the local pub and, and, and they're much more willing to throw down than Americans are, I think. Like if you had a European and an American in a brawl, the European is going to probably smoke <laughs> the American pretty easily is, is my guess. But there were some rules here that just blew me away. Number one, when you go to a football stadium, like when I went to Arsenal and Brentford the other day, the match was at Brentford. Brentford gets an allotment of home seats and then Arsenal has their own section. And Griggs, there's walls that basically come up in the away section so that none of the home fans and the away fans can mix, thus get in a fight, right? <laughs> so they totally segregate the home fans from the away fans. And what happens is if the away fans don't sell all their tickets, well, the home team can't say, oh, we got more tickets that we can sell and make money on. Let's sell those tickets. No, 
You just have to basically eat those tickets because you can't mix the home and away supporters. So Arsenal sold out their section and included in their section, Griggs, I tweeted out a picture at SB Radio, and I didn't see him with my own eyes. I just learned about this afterwards. Ted Lasso actors, Jason Sudeikis, Ted Lasso himself, and Coach Beard, Brendan Hunt, they were in the Arsenal section at the arsenal Brentford match. But that was all sold out. Now, the other thing that was interesting is if you're going to an away match, they cap it at 20 pounds, which is basically like $25. I mean, can you imagine like in America, if you're like, well, I can't get tickets to the Lakers or Knicks at home, so I'm going to go on the road and watch them. And the most I'm going to have to pay is $25. Not bad. Not bad at all. So segregation of the fans, I had no idea. And then the other thing, and this blew me away, because I thought, again, you know, you hear about the drinking that takes place over here. You can't drink in the seating bowl. I mean, can you imagine going to an American football game, an NBA game, a major league baseball game, and, you know, the people who are selling beers in the stands? You can't do that here. You can drink before the game. And you can drink at halftime and you can drink after, but you can't drink during the game and you can't drink in the seating bowl. Hmm. So you're losing a ton of revenue if you own one of these soccer clubs. I mean, in America, that's one of the biggest forms of revenue is alcohol sales. And how many times have we watched an NBA game and we see like the person bringing the drinks and the ball comes and against the person and the drinks go flying? Like you would never see that here. Because you're not allowed to sell beer in the seating bowl. Hmm. So those two things, the segregation of the fan and basically the home team having to eat the tickets if the away team doesn't sell all their tickets and the away tickets being capped at a certain price, which is really low. I mean, if I was someone, I couldn't get season tickets to my home team. I would just go watch all the road matches, pay $25, 20 pounds. I mean, that's a, that's a really... Good deal. But, okay, going back to Brentford Arsenal, I, I just thought, I'm not going to say it was a religious experience for me, but it made me appreciate soccer more so than I had before. And the immense strategy, the concert of controlling the ball with your head, with your foot, you know, the goalie, like, Everything had a strategy to it. And when you watch Arsenal, like I tweeted out, it was like watching a Ferrari operating on all cylinders. I mean, everyone was in concert with each other. No one was like doing anything sillier. And, and, you know, this is, this isn't like basketball where it's five on five. Like you've got, you know, multiple players out there and everyone's got to be on the same page. They're in concert with the coach. I love the job Richie Wellens does with uh, Leighton Orient, they're in League Two. So they're down a couple levels from the Arsenal. But I mean, one of the other things is Brentford was at the same level as Leighton Orient 10 years ago. So again, as we discussed in our show last week, Briggs, the promotion relegation thing, it's huge because you can be down at level four and you can aspire to be up to level one and you can be at level one And you go, oh my God, I don't want to get relegated. I don't want to go down to level two or three or four. And there's a lot of money, as you hear uh, Nigel discuss in our conversation, that goes with getting promoted, right? You get TV money, 
There's other forms of revenue, but there's also more costs. You know, in America, we say more money, more problems. <laughs> well, you got to pay the players more. Uh, you know, like the other day, Arsenal has a $163 million payroll and Brentford has like a $60 million payroll. And 10 years ago, they probably had like a $2.5 million payroll. So to them, $60 million is a lot, but they're not in the same universe as Arsenal. And for American listeners, I would say the closest thing I can compare it to is Major League Baseball, right? You've got the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Dodgers paying hundreds of millions of dollars. And you've got the A's and the Kansas City Royals and the Florida Marlins paying tens of millions of dollars, right? Like, you know, Ronaldo makes more by himself than the entire Brentford FC football club does. You know, and we remember the stats of like, you know, A-Rod makes more than the entire roster of the Oakland A's or the Florida Marlins. So it's, it's very similar. Yeah, it's uh, it's in a crazy, it's crazy just how different it is. Like you're saying, and you got to see in person the whole event. You know, the stadium, how you get there, how you pay for, what you drink, how you eat. It's just, it's a whole different world. And I'm glad you got to go. The pictures were amazing. The field looked like it was just in pristine shape and condition, which of course it is. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of I liken it back to when I was a kid. I loved growing up with our local hockey team. And then I went to an NHL game for the first time. I'm like, holy crap, these guys are every pass is on, every single hit yeah. is on, every single it's just so orchestrated, like you say. It's like a symphony. And that's cool. You got to see it. Yeah. I love the guys who come out and manage the pitch too. They come out like they've got these little pitch forks. <laughs> it, it reminds me of like the groundskeepers at Augusta National. Yeah. You know, they keep it in pristine condition. And I mean, so by the time you get onto this field, it's just like it's beautiful. And, you know, at the again, the Premier League, it's like basically playing soccer at Augusta National Golf Course. I mean, yeah. you, you are playing on the nicest fields in the nicest stadiums. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was good. So, I, again, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Nigel Travis. I want to get to a few headlines from America or internationally. Um, I'm. Having to cut my trip short, unfortunately, my mother has taken ill. So I'm returning to the States early to uh, help take care of her. But in the next few days in London, Roger Federer, who just announced his retirement, is playing in his last competitive matches at Labor Cup. So Roger Federer, to me, I've had the privilege of seeing him play in person. He's one of the great tennis players ever. I think he's as gifted as any tennis player ever. He's such a class act. Um, you know, he looks like a ballerina playing tennis. I mean, he's just so graceful and he has every shot in the book. So I wish him well. I'm sorry I'm going to miss him in, in London. It would have been cool to try and uh, get a press pass and, and go watch him play in his last matches. But, uh, you know, when I remember Roger Federer, I'm going to remember him in the same ilk as, as Serena Williams. I mean, for my money in my lifetime, and I've seen a lot of tennis players, Bjorn Borg, John McEnroe, Chrissy Everett, Martina Navratilova. For my money, the two greatest tennis players that I've watched with my own two eyes are Roger Federer and Serena Williams. Yeah, Federer is so smooth. Like you said, he's, he's smoother than, a McEnroe was kind of all over the place, you know, great player, but played a whole different style. Federer is just so, everything is just orchestrated. His swing is beautiful. Yeah. And like you say, he's a class act. He, he, he's with the kids always. He's signing autographs. 
he's a great interview. He's just a fun guy. And I think, uh, man, he's going to be missed in, on the court. But yeah, he's fun to watch over the years for sure. Well, and his matchups with Nadal were just classic. I mean, that one at Wimbledon a few years ago yeah. was maybe the greatest tennis match ever played. Yep. So, um, you know, you saw he and Nadal and Djokovic, they, they played at the highest of levels, tennis history, and we got to see that in our lifetimes. So that's pretty cool. Um, a few more headlines. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns, he has been fined $10 million, suspended for a year. Um, many people, including myself, don't think that that was harsh enough. Robert Sarver has been a guest on this show a few times. I read the report and was sickened like most others. Um, and, you know, LeBron James has come out and said the penalty wasn't harsh enough. Uh, Chris Paul, who plays for the Sun, said the penalty wasn't harsh enough. And there's no room in the league for, you know, actions like Sarver's. And then PayPal has come out and said they're going to end their sponsorship if Sarver doesn't resign. So, Griggs, as we know from doing this show for a long time, money talks. And when sponsors start dropping their sponsorships with Suns and the NBA and players like LeBron James and Chris Paul, first ballot Hall of Famers come out and say, hey, this was not harsh enough, then things might change. Now, if you want to know the real reason that the penalty wasn't more harsh than it was is because of litigation and discovery and you know that Sarver and his team of lawyers would have sued the NBA if they tried to take the team away from him. So, you know, just like we saw in the Dan Snyder, uh, you know, report and the John Gruden emails came out of that, you know, there's all these other uh, reports going on. Like, I don't think the NBA wanted that, but they're going to have to deal with the backlash of putting out a penalty that most saw as not harsh enough. I mean, 99% of people on my Twitter timeline were saying, this is a joke. This isn't harsh enough. I mean, you read some of the things that he did in that report. I don't know where there is a place for someone like that in the NBA. And again, I've had him on the show and he's always been nice to me, but obviously he wasn't the same with others. And, and, you know, there's no room for that grade. Yeah, definitely no room for it. I agree with you. I think he needs to resign and just be done. Obviously, he's going to be known for this. We talk about that too. You know, you, these guys can have these dynasties of, you know, perfection their whole career. And then when it something like this comes out, that's all we're going to remember him by. And that's that's bad on him and uh, what he'll have to deal with. But yeah, I think the, the fine line of the, we talk about with all the other leagues, you know, when someone needs to be punished, how do they do it? What's their formulation of how this needs to happen and how far it needs to go or how long it needs to go? I agree with you. I think it's under on this one. <laughs> I think it needs to be way harsher. And uh, hopefully he'll just resign and kind of disappear from the leagues and, you know, the sporting world because it's just nasty. Yeah. All right. Last thing to discuss uh, with American headlines, the NFL college football. Griggs, you're there. I'm sure you watched games. I, I watched highlights on social media. You know, the Miami Dolphins are 2-0. Tua. Six touchdowns, and, you know, that was a great game with Lamar Jackson, 42-38 final score. Uh, the Jets came out of nowhere and came back against the Browns. The Arizona Cardinals came out of nowhere and came back against the Raiders, so a lot of comebacks. And, you know, then you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, went to the Super Bowl. I was at the game, 
and they're 0-2, and they can't protect Joe Burrow. So they've gone from the penthouse to the outhouse pretty quickly. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, boy, aren't the Niners happy that they signed him as the backup and didn't trade him because now Trey Lance is out for the season. They just turned over the keys to the quarterback position to him. He gets hurt, gone for the season. Now you've got Jimmy G who knows that offense, knows that coaching staff, who knows that roster, and your season isn't lost after two games. So, yeah, this is why if you have a chance to sign the backup, you sign a good backup because if your starter goes down early in the season, your season could be over. Yeah, Jimmy came in there like he hadn't missed a beat. He uh, he didn't. Right. I mean, he came in like he'd been playing all along, so that's a huge, huge up for them. You feel bad for Trey Lance, obviously, getting his first uh, start for the season and then getting you know the broken ankle. But uh, yeah, yesterday, definitely the comeback uh, Sunday. There was some crazy games. And Tua, the funny thing about him, six touchdowns. He also had two picks. He could have thrown eight TDs in that game. I mean, he had he had chance to throw eight of them, and, uh, and it didn't work. But, you know, and you see Kyler Murray on that two-point conversion that won the game. He was in the pocket for 20 seconds. <laughs> running around and just get you know how he is video game style and then yeah. he runs it in and then they, they win the game so that was crazy so nfl's parody we talk about all the time and it's so hard to repeat we're seeing that with cincy they look like they don't even know what they're doing and it's it's just crazy how many different teams you know they trade guys and this guy and this guy a new quarterback new lineman and it can change the whole you know the whole next season so it's it's always uh, fun to watch by the way jimmy garoppolo's contract with the niners if he takes 25% of the snaps, which he will as long as he stays healthy, he gets a bonus of $250,000 per game and he gets $350,000, so another hundred, three fifty total if the Niners win. So this past game, he took 25% of the snaps, so he got his two fifty, and they won, so he made $350,000. So, you know, they signed him to a pretty team-friendly contract they probably thought, all right, he's going to sit on the bench all year and hold the clipboard. <laughs> well, now they're going to be paying him. And they're going to be paying him pretty sizable money, but I'm sure they're happy to pay him if he wins, right? Oh, yeah. I think uh, I love the contracts. All these different things written into it. That's a cool little tidbit you bring up there because, uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to play the rest of the season as long as he's healthy. So he's going to end up pretty well after the this year for sure. Right. I want to thank again Nigel Travis and Leighton Orient FC for hosting me. They went above and beyond in giving me access, um, taking me on the team bus, stayed in the hotel with them, went to the strategy meetings, uh, you know, hung out with Nigel at his flat and rode in the car with him to the, to the match, had dinner with the team after the game. Just a class act organization. Um, can't thank them enough. I think our listeners benefit from really getting to peek under the hood of European football, just how different it is from American sports. Um, so I think you're going to enjoy the conversation coming up next with Nigel Travis, chairman and co-owner of Leighton Orient. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Brian Berger here. Roan is the new official menswear partner of Sports Business Radio. I love their product. I've been a fan for a long time. Did you know David Stern was one of their first investors? Roan makes the absolute highest quality, best fitting, and most comfortable performance-driven clothing for men. Their entire line places emphasis on an active, balanced, and purpose-driven lifestyle. I'm wearing my spar joggers. I've got them in uh, heather gray. I've got them in navy. 
I've got my moleskin commuter slim pant. I've got my regular black commuter pant. I've got my dress shirts. So when I'm out in in-person meetings, I have the nicer Roan product to wear. But most of the time I'm working from home and I've got my rain long sleeve gray heather camo. I've got my rain long sleeve hoodies. I am wearing the shorts for workouts, the seven inch Mako shorts. So I'll tell you what, from top to bottom, whether it's casual or business wear, Roan has me covered. I know they're going to have you covered too. And Roan is offering Sports Business Radio podcast listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com and enter code SBR15 at checkout, like Sports Business Radio 15, SBR15 at checkout. Receive 15% off your purchase. That's Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com and enter promo code SBR15 at checkout. All right, everyone, I am still in London and I just took in another Leighton Orient match. And last week we focused on the business of football um, and the roster with Martin Ling, the director of football. Now I'm with the chairman of Leighton Orient, uh, also a previous guest on Sports Business Radio. He has worked as the chair at Duncan, uh, Baskin Robbins, Blockbuster, you're on the board of Abercrombie, uh, lots of different American companies as well. Nigel Travis, thanks for hosting me this week. Uh, it's been an educational experience. It's, it's been fun. I've only been here for today because I flew in from Boston early this morning. Um, but it's been great having you, Brian. And uh, unfortunately, you're not going back to Portland because since you've been here, we are, as the Americans say, two and oh. And uh, we've let no goals in, right? A clean sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm the good luck charm that you, that you need it. Yeah. And then um, Richie, uh, head coach says you can't go back. <laughs> so for everyone out there, we talked about this last week, but Leighton Orient is leap two. Uh, and you're trying to get promoted and you had a six-year plan and you're in year five of the six-year plan. Well, I, I, I think... To be honest, it's year six, okay. but, but you could say because of however however long you count COVID, you know, whether right. that is right. a pass or not, we can debate. Right. But uh, you sit atop the standings right now. So yeah. uh, I know there's a long way to go this season, but right now you're, you're looking promising. Yeah, we, right now we have, um, what is it, 25 uh, point. Uh, and yeah, 25 out of, uh, 27 points. So we're in a good position, very good position. And, uh, our goal difference, which for the audience is if everyone's equal on points, they use goal difference, which is goal scored minus goals method, mm-hmm. uh, as the factor that determines who goes up. So goal difference is important. Okay. Um, also, for our audience who may have missed my interview with Nigel a couple of years ago, you grew up a Leighton Orient fan. You came to the stadium with your family, and the team was in distress a few years ago, and the opportunity came up for you and a few others to purchase the team. 
not everyone gets to purchase the team that they grew up loving and, and were a fan of, but it comes with a lot of responsibility. I mean, I've walked around with you today and, you know, like I said on last week's podcast, the fans here are at a next level. It's different than what I see in America. This is part of the fabric of their life. So a lot of pressure comes with being the chairman of, of Leighton Orient. Yeah, I, th I think it's interesting. Firstly, going right back to the start. Yes, yeah, so I first came here. Uh, where we're sitting now was where I first came, <laughs> but with a different stand. Yeah. Uh, in 1959, um, I supported the club there for 63 years till I'm 72. Um, as you say, we had an owner whose name I can't say because of the, we don't say it anymore. Okay. And uh, who left the club in, in a terrible state. We were, for those watching the Wrexham series in the National League, which is where Wrexham are, uh, and we managed to get promotion after two years. But when we bought the club, um, I was very fortunate that a gentleman who's my great friend and partner now, Ken T came along and put up the majority of the financing at the time. And we've had a great partnership. We've had terrific board members, uh, many of whom are American as well as British. And we are on this six year journey. And uh, at the moment, things are looking good. But as I've said, and Brian, you've heard me say this like 20 times today, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right. We've only got 37 games to go to the end of the season. So it's nice to be four points clear, but it is a very long marathon. One of the reasons I'm here in Europe is to differentiate between American sports and European sports. Last week with Martin, we talked about promotion and relegation. Uh, from the business standpoint, what does it mean if Leighton Orient gets promoted up to League One? How does that impact the franchise? Okay, so the first thing I would say is in my 63 years, we've been just about everywhere. So just to run through it, so, so your listeners have got a clear idea mm -hmm. from a historical perspective how promotional relegation works. So they changed the name of the leagues over time, but I'm going to use the modern terms. So when I came here in 1959 for the first time, we were in what's now called the Championship. Three years later, we went up to the Premier League we actually beat Manchester United at home one nothing. Wow. Uh, and we did go up with Liverpool. And then we came down after one year. Uh, and then we stayed in what was then called uh, the Championship. Uh, sorry, then called League Two, but Championship for a few years. Then went down to what is now League One. Stayed there for some time. Went down to League Two, um, as it's called now. Then back to League One. Uh, and then when the previous owner owned the club, after being in League One for a long time, he took us down immediately to League Two, and two years later, down to the National League. Mm. So we've been up and down. And to answer your question, effectively, in the current financial situation, if we go to the League One, mm. it's probably worth them about a million extra a year. And to put that into context, this year we're expecting to lose about one and a half million. Okay. Uh, and as I think I've said before, most clubs in the EFL, which is the three leagues below the Premier League, lose money. So promotion is important for us, but that also has some higher costs for players and what have you. Right. 
Martin said last week that our budget's about 2.3. It's probably one of the higher ones in this league. If we go up to League One, it's probably four or five million. If we go up to the championship, it's probably in the range of 10 to 20 million. So, um, you know, players get paid more as you go up. Um, but we should also make more money. We get more fans to the games. And as you've seen personally today, more away fans is an important um, part of that. The team we played today probably bought 200. And because there is, and I know Americans find this somewhat odd, separation between the away fans and the home fans, if the, if the away section isn't sold out, we can't fill it with home fans. So our away section holds 1,300. There was probably 200, 250 away fans today. So we had over a thousand spare seats that we couldn't sell. So you're marketing to away fans too, or you're hoping they're going to show up yeah. because any tickets that aren't sold for the away section, you can't sell to your Leighton Orient fans. Is that correct? That That's correct. And, and one of the things I think is interesting that um, Americans perhaps don't get about U.S. soccer, and it was interesting, someone showed me in the middle of the week, a P&L for a championship club that someone was looking to buy. And it was interesting trying to explain to them some of the differences. And And the differences are, firstly, you cannot sell alcohol in front of the pitch. Hmm. And you saw yourself today. Yeah. We bring down the blinds just before the game starts because you cannot be lifting a pipe and watch football at the same time. That all goes back to various events that happened in the 70s and 80s. Uh, there is not the same propensity to turn up at the game early that you see in the States with tailgating. And one of the reasons is there's not the space around most grounds. Right. Um, and then um, there's the separation of the fans, which again goes back to some of the stadium disasters that we had in the 70s, 80s, uh, and the safety laws as a result to avoid violence and going back to one of the disasters, a major fire, are much more brutal here than they are in America. And and that means that there's a lot of restrictions that keeps our PL somewhat restricted. Yeah, I mean for my listeners, I didn't know this, but there's a section of the stadium here. It's it's literally segregated for the away fans. So the away fans and the home fans cannot interact. There's like a wall up that prevents them from interacting. So you wouldn't see that in America, whether it's a college football game, an NBA game, an NFL game. There are fans of opposing teams that are sitting in the same areas. You're able to drink alcohol in the seating bowl. You know, maybe they cut off sales after the third period, but you're able to drink beer or alcohol in the seating bowl. That is not allowed here for the reasons that you just outlined. So when you get into the business of running a club over here, um, it's almost like the more successful you are, the more money you can make, but also the more expenses you have with your roster. And then you still have the restrictions of the ticket sales to the away fans. If those don't sell out, then you have to eat those seats, basically. And then also the alcohol sales. And for most franchises in America, the alcohol sales are a huge part of 
their bottom line. Well, it's interesting. I've done some comparisons and I won't share which clubs are which, but essentially clubs, let's call it big franchises in the States. Okay. What's known as the cap rate, in other words, the amount of stuff like food, uh, beverage, merchandise, and sometimes things like car parking, in the States for big franchises are probably in the $25, $30 mark. Uh, I was at USL, which is like the second tier of US soccer mm-hmm. game last Saturday, and that's like nineteen twenty. Um, Here, it's about four pounds. So huge difference, and, it, and it's the re- a lot of it is those restrictions that you spelled out, right? Um, and I think we, as a game over here, need to focus on what we can do to elevate that because that's a lot of lost revenue that the club are picking up. So how do you do that? I mean, do you get all of the owners of the soccer clubs at all the different levels together and say we're leaving a lot of money on the table, or? We need to put some security in place so we can sell alcohol in the seating bowl, but not have riots and fires and, and things of that nature. How do you fix that? Well, taking the alcohol one, there was a government report, which essentially came after several clubs went out of business, which I think in America would be perceived to be, okay, a club went out of business. But here, that's a loss of a major institution in the community. And I think you said on your podcast last week, week, when you were talking to Martin, that the community identification with the club is so significant here. Yeah, very deep. And, and, and it's, so that was one of the factors. And then we had this so-called super league that was talked about. So the government set up an inquiry and that inquiry actually said that for clubs at our level, which is league two. There should be a trial of alcohol again. The police were dead against it. The police thought that was an awful idea, so it's unlikely to happen. And your point about getting together with the other clubs, I think one of the things that's actually very positive about football or soccer here is that people truly believe uh, that they can work together. I mean, we work with other clubs. You sat with our opponents today. Uh, everyone gets on absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's a case of us getting together. It's basically controlled by legislation. Hmm. And we need to influence politicians or the police to make a change. Do you see that happening in the next five, 10 years? Or is that such an uphill battle? And is this such tradition here that it's going to be hard to change? Uh, I, I, I think if we think about it hard enough, I think there's, you know, could you restrict the alcohol or, um, or could you allow people like in our, what Americans would call sweet areas, right. To drink and still watch the game. I mean, yeah, they're not going to suddenly run on the pitch from the, right. From those tweets. So I think there needs to be some consideration. I think it is also ironic that a view against our current law is a lot of people go to the pub, get as we say, tanked up right before they come to the stadium. And then at halftime, people go and have a quick drink in 10 minutes, which is probably the fastest way of getting drunk rather than yeah. having a slow right. drink as you're watching. So I think it may change, but I think a much bigger issue 
is the whole issue of redistribution. And this is a very complicated subject that's been brought to four by these clubs going out of business. And there is a view that there needs to be redistribution between the Premier League and the EFL, which is the Championship, League One and League Two. And we as the EFL are pushing for 25% of the joint media rights. Um, and I think progress will take place over that. Um, and we're very well led in the EFL. And I think this is going to be big news over the next probably six to nine months. Uh, English Premier League, they get lots of money for the sponsors on their kits. Is that equivalent at this level? I, I mean, I, I know it's not dollar for dollar equivalent, but when I'm looking at the revenue streams at this level, is that one of the main revenue streams is the kit sponsorship? Well, kit sponsorship and other sponsorship is a big opportunity. And uh, we have been quite creative in the past. I mean, our front of shirt sponsor um, is actually Harry Kane. And for those who don't know Harry Kane, and you should know Harry Kane, is the England soccer captain. Uh, at the start of the pandemic, which was a very bad time for the world, but also a bad time for football because we had to carry on playing despite the pandemic. Um, we approached Harry Kane, who a long time ago at the start of his career came from Tottenham Hotspur, where he's always played, to Leighton Orient on loan. And he graciously agreed to sponsor us and he's now done it for three years. Um, and we have three kits for different charities. And the our first kit, our red kit, is Shout, which is for mental health. Uh, we also have another kit for a big charity called the Tommy Club. And then we have one for a mental, uh, for a hospice for children. Uh, so the Harry Kane has been incredibly gracious. We're, we're very proud of our relationship with him. Um, but I think the point is that I think over time, this game is growing and growing. And I think you're going to see more access to the EFL across the world. We should bring more money into the game. And, and by the way, we're not just asking as an EFL to take more to take all the money from the Premier League. It's the joint media. So we should be making more money as well. And uh, the game is obviously the number one game in the world. And I think people love the idea of promotion, relegation, the drama that comes with it. Yeah. And I think programs like Wrexham are going to help everyone understand it and obviously your podcast as well. So I think the broadcasting will improve and that should help our economics. Yeah, I mean, you told me, uh, I don't know, a week ago on the phone that you thought because of Ted Lasso and Welcome to Wrexham that the value of the franchises over here have increased substantially. Yeah. Is that? Well, it's undoubtedly true because I think Americans keep coming in. I mean, right. Um, I've, I've forgotten how many American owners in, in the Premier League, but a lot. I mean, we played a team in our league today, Walsall. They just got new... American ownership, um, Bournemouth, the latest club to rumors that hasn't happened yet of American ownership. So I think it's attracting Americans in and, and they look at the cost of buying, taking at the top level, a Premier League club against a NFL franchise or, uh, MLB or, uh, basketball or hockey. 
and think there's great value here. Mm -hmm. Obviously, also at the moment, uh, with the pound dollar rate, you're effectively getting, well, depends how you take the true exchange rate. I've always taken it to be about 160. We're down to about 115. So you get a significant discount. So I think you'll continue to see a lot of American owners come here. And as you've experienced yourself, I think the excitement level driven by the promotion and relegation is staggering. And I think that will also bring people in. Yeah. Um, Media rights and streaming, those are other revenue opportunities for clubs. Um, You know, our audience knows what this means in America. What does it mean over here? I know you just launched a streaming service and um, explain to our audience I mean, you get to keep most of that revenue, I'm assuming. So that's a, a great opportunity for your club. So soccer is a pretty conservative business. And a lot of people through the years have opposed any kind of TV rights. Mm-hmm. When I grew up, there was no football on TV. Um, and... It's gradually become more prevalent, but it's still controlled. For reasons that are too complex to explain, we can't show three o'clock kickoff games live. Um, And the result is now, and this was a big innovation about five years ago, the EFL came up with a streaming service. We sit... When we were in the National League, which is the league below, we actually had our own streaming service. So we were very enthusiastic about joining with the league. But we took their feed and then topped and tailed it by having a pregame show, which, by the way, anyone can watch on YouTube, um, a halftime show and a postgame show. So we kind of are trying to make it as close to broadcast quality as we can. So we do all that ourselves. Um, every game is streamed on our website, latenorred.com, quick plug, uh, 10 pounds a game. And we're gradually increasing our number of overseas viewers. Um, we're excited about that. I think the broadcast rights, as I mentioned earlier for the EFL will continue to grow. Most of the games in the States are shown on ESPN plus. Um, but I think the, you know, the excitement of all these battles for promotion and relegation and. Now that more and more people understand it, I think uh, the media rights will grow. You have an interesting perspective because you live in London and you live in America. You also know, as you alluded to earlier, owners of American sports franchises. Does that joint perspective help you in, in both countries and especially as the chairman of Leighton Orient? Yeah, it does. So I mean, I, I truly think it does give me kind of a unique perspective. Um, I think with, I'm, I'm lucky that Boston is so close to London. There's you know, five and a half hours last night. Um, and I'm fortunate, as you say, I've known a lot of great owners. I mean, the Crabs, obviously, run the Patriots, uh, the Red Sox, great organization who've always been helpful to us. Um, I think I now I, I think I have a good perspective of how far you can push American ideas and how far you can. Um, I think it, a lot of things are very different. I mean, you said to me today the access to the fans and the ownership is amazingly different. 
I mean, you walk amongst the supporters. They call them supporters here, not fans. You walk amongst the supporters. And I joked with you that owners in America, they're in their luxury box. They're going up and down the elevator. They're going between their car and the luxury box. They're not out amongst the people very rarely. Um, so it is different here. You know, you're shaking hands with people. People are coming up and giving you opinions, good or bad. And you're subjecting yourself to that when a lot of owners in America wouldn't do that. It's interesting. I mean, one of our board members, one of the reasons we bought the club is Kent T, who, as I said earlier, is a great friend and partner. He is the best at doing what I call management by walking around, which is a management phrase in the book In Search of Excellence. Um, Tom Peters and Waterman. Um, and he walked around the ground. He walks into pubs. Fans have asked him home for lunch, dinner, and he goes. Wow. And, and I think one big difference with American sports is the fans are part of our constituency. Right. I mean, when I was, when I was running Duncan, it was important to me to know the views of franchisees, but not just the representatives, the average franchisees. Mm. So I, I'd set up opportunities to meet all of those franchisees and we had like 2000. So I think the closeness of ownership to the fans is much, much stronger here. And I think what comes with that is a certain amount of emotion because this is a very emotional game. Yeah, and, and, and people have emotional opinions and you just have to sometimes stand back from it all. And that is one benefit of living in America. Yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, segregation of the opposing fans from the home fans. I think in America, the owners are segregated in large part from the supporters and the fans. And, and I think that actually causes a problem because they, they aren't in tune with the fans thinking. I mean, we have, but again, I think you've been surprised. We have three fan podcasts, right? Uh, and and you sit down with the podcast, and your coach sits down with the podcast. Like again, in America, that doesn't typically happen. No, and there's there's all to do with the media rights and who owns the game. But I mean, we're we're considered to be a leader in that. I, I wouldn't say we're the absolute leader. We can always do better. But a major part of that report, the government report, is effectively clubs here are seen as community assets. Yeah. And you heard a fan say to me that I'm a temporary custodian of the yeah. club, and that is something I believe in. It's actually cost us a lot of money to be the yeah. temporary You're custodian. Kidding. But, you know, I see this as something that we're doing for the community of Leighton and the greater and, and the surrounding area. How has your experience with the big brands, Duncan and Baskin Robbins and Abercrombie and, you know, the many brands that you've worked with, Blockbuster, how has that helped you in the position of chairman of Leighton Orient? Well, I think the first thing I'd say, I think this is very important. You need to listen to your customer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's scared back to that discussion we just had about fun. I think we could always find opportunities for more revenue. So that's important. And you look into the numbers. Um, I think I've learned over time and we didn't always get it right that 
to have the right culture in the organization is critical. And we feel that our head coach, who you, I think, had a nice walk with earlier. Yeah. Richie, we got a guy who really engages with the players, engages with his coaches. Um, and I think that's important. And I think culture is perhaps, someone said at a co- management conference in New York to me, I see culture is like the big buzzword, mm. but it's so important. And I think that's a real learning. Yeah. Um, so I think that helps. I think that American, the way Americans look at finance is also somewhat different. Uh, we're very big on risks and opportunities of projecting forward. We're less focused on history. Can't rewrite history. Look forward and project forward and how you're going to hit those targets. So I, I think that makes you slightly more aggressive in, in the way you look at things. And uh, so I think it's helped me enormously. And I'm very fortunate to have a great board. We've got a lot of experience. We've got a McKinsey consultant. Kent used to work at Microsoft. We've got people who are entrepreneurs. We've got one guy who runs a major sports business, um, professional darts. Um, I've got my son who's on the board who works at Sky. So he's an export in broadcasting. Yeah. So we all got this expertise and it comes together. And, and the question you haven't asked me, but I'll answer it anyway. Would I do it all again? You bet. It's fantastic. That's great. Um, just a few minutes left. We just poked our heads in and walked about a half of uh, the women's soccer club. And, you know, this has been such an area of growth in America. You know, the WNBA is growing, the NWSL. There's a lot of area for growth here. Uh, I mean, I will be candid, and, and I said this to you, you know, off air. I think from what I've seen here, it's a little bit behind America as far as the development and growth of women's sports, but that seems like another great area of growth potential here. Yeah, uh, no, uh, we, we think so. Um, I think it's interesting, the success, I think, of women's cricket is hmm. probably a leader. Um, and it's interesting, one of the car companies, which I can't remember which one, so I won't name it because I'll get it wrong, uh, had a very successful sponsorship of women's cricket. Um, so women's football has been behind. Uh, I think it's come a long way in five years. I think the lionesses, as they're called, winning the Euros this summer is going to catapult it. Yeah. At Lake Orient, we've got our women's team, uh, who, as you say, first time ever playing a double header the same day as the men. Um, and they played some beautiful football based on what we saw. Mm-hmm. And then we've also got a new deal with Tottenham Hotspur women who play in the Women's Super League. So they're going to play a lot of their games here. We're going to get a hybrid pitch as a result of that. We're hoping to attract some Tottenham fans to Lake Orient games. And hopefully some of our fans will turn up to watch their game when they're here on a Sunday. So I think we're, we've got twin strategies of pushing women's football forward. Uh, but I see the strength of women's sports in the States. And I think there is signs that it's beginning to break through here. Yeah. Um, I've heard of one big game in the WSL that that does not taking place for weeks where they've already sold 33,000 tickets. Wow. So uh, I'm very optimistic about the future of women's sports. Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I'm impressed with your operation here um, and the chemistry that you're 
football staff has, that your business staff has, um, even the game day operations. You walk around the stadium and everyone has a smile on their face and they shake your hand and they're very welcoming. So I, I think you've got a lot of potential here. Um, I think it's great that this is the team that you grew up with as a boy. So I'm sure you're invested in it in a, in a way that you wouldn't be if this was just, you know, a spreadsheet purchase and uh, you didn't have that connection. But I can't tell you how much I appreciate you welcoming me uh, in the last week and, and letting me kind of um, poke my head under the hood a little bit. And like I told you, uh, for our listeners, it was important to hear from the people who are actually making these decisions, a, a chairman like yourself or Martin, who's building the roster instead of just asking the supporters what they think. Um, so thank you so much for, for having me here. Well, Brian, I think having you here has actually helped us because it gives us perspective on two or three issues because you can never have enough insight in what perhaps you're missing. I mean, we're very close to it, despite the fact that I say I'm in Boston, so I'm not that close. Right. But to have someone from outside coming in and spending time with us, thank you for your investment in time. And uh, one last plug, if anyone wants to watch a late Orient game, Please go to lakenorian.com and stream it, £10 a game. Well, I'll tell you this. A lot of people in America watch Ted Lasso, and they've adopted AFC Richmond as their team, even though they don't actually play games. Leighton Orient is my adopted team now. I, I'll be watching the games on the stream. I'll be following the podcasts and watching from afar from America. So uh, I, I, this is my team now. I'm invested. And you now know not to take on our goalkeeper on a quiz night. That is true. Yes, you have uh, the the smartest goalkeeper when it comes to trivia that I've ever seen. <laughs> Nigel Travis, chairman of Leighton Orient. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the fastest growing fantasy app ever released and the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. And with early investors like Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, and Jared Goff, I know that Underdog Fantasy is made for people like me who are on the go and want something quick, easy, and fun to play. And today, we've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. If you sign up to Underdog Fantasy using the promo code SBR, they're going to double your first deposit up to $100. No risk, no long-term commitment. Just sign up using promo code SBR and your first deposit is matched up to $100 for free. I already play Underdog Fantasy on the Underdog Fantasy app, but if I didn't, I'd use that free $100 and go for a pick'em contest where I can bet the over-under on individual players or team matchups. Or maybe the Best Ball Mania 3 contest worth $10 million in total prizes. All you have to do is draft a team for the season, no waivers, no lineups, no injury reports. Underdog Fantasy takes care of all of that for you. So do what I've been doing. Go to Underdog Fantasy, download the app, sign up with promo code SBR, and get started right away with a free match on your first deposit up to $100. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our team at Sports Business Radio. Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and... Our friends at CG Sports, who power Sports Business Radio, CG Young, Matt Amerlin, Nicole Wardle, and Calvin Wirtz. I'm Brian Berger. 
Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com.